Hello everyone, and welcome back to Right Click Radio, the podcast which puts NFTs in context and considers the latest trends in Web3. In today's episode, Grant Rivenyan explains the influence of everyday life on his art with Jason Bailey. I always like to hear a little bit more about the process, maybe with a little bit of detail from source imagery, even conception and idea for a single piece. Like, what does that look like from first ideation to collecting like the source material? Are you bringing like photos into Illustrator? Are you doing all your work sort of in one sitting or spread out over time? And which tools within Illustrator, maybe even a little bit nerdier than usual in terms of some of the details of the process end to end what a piece might look like. So I try my best to illustrate from my personal experiences. For myself, at least, art has to be quote-unquote selfish. It has to be something that is for myself first. And then if you appreciate it as a viewer, then fine by me. And so a lot of my art is focused on my childhood experiences or some place I visited or a location that has really inspired me. And so when you take a look at some of the collections that I've done, it's really been just a reflection of where I've lived throughout my childhood or, you know, just in recent years. And my life philosophy really is just like trying to appreciate every moment of my life. And this might come as a result of this perpetual existential crises I have that I'm sure a lot of artists have, especially kind of in the 21st century. But yeah, it's, it's always about appreciating my life. And so I try not to take things for granted. And one of those things is really just appreciating my environment that I'm in. The art that I conceptualize is really just things that are very commonplace and things that resonate with myself. And so when it comes down to creating a composition or just a collection in general, I try to work in series because it gives me a more cohesive body of work. It's almost like instead of writing a single chapter, I'm able to write a book with a collection of chapters put together. And so I always try to think about how I can fit this illustration in context of a bigger message that I have. And a lot of my work, I would say, is from if I drive to work or if I drive to a new location or if I'm taking the train or plane somewhere, a lot of that source material is from my iPhone and from my DSLR that I have. And so in recent months, my art has been looking more and more photorealistic, but that is far from where my goal is. The goal of my art is not to be photorealistic or hyperrealistic. I can trace images to a T to the point where they look identical to the image itself. But my art operates on a scale where from the most minimal to like single shapes to the point where it's almost photorealistic. And the way I dictate how complex or simple an image is, is simply based off of the message that I want to share with people. And maybe in the past, it's been a little bit more minimalistic because of how I felt or what the collection meant to me at that time. I have literally thousands of photos on my phone that I mashed together. So it's almost like a collage. The way I think about it is my art is a collage slash illustration at the same time. And it's all done on a digital canvas, of course. And all of this becomes as a result of me ever since I was a little kid. The very first thing I told my parents I wanted to be was a photographer. I think over the years, I've been shooting lots of photos. I just don't feel comfortable sharing that work or selling that work specifically. But taking those photographs that I shoot and then creating compositions, mixing and matching in a collage style, and then changing every part of the composition to my will on Illustrator is basically how I come about creating my pieces. And then my pieces, of course, are done on Adobe Illustrator. So they're all vector and I do it with the shapes tool only. And then I have the layers tool, obviously, to work in different layers, but it's all basically just the shapes tool. So the shapes tool on Adobe Illustrator is like a square, a rectangle, a circle, and then like a triangle or a star or something. You can manipulate each corner to your will. You could manipulate 
manipulated in the way that you can make curves, you can make additional edges, you can make additional corners. From there, it's really about either overlaying them on top of one another in different layers, or it's just about putting them adjacent to one another. And it's really how video games are created, where it's almost like cardboard cutouts of shapes that are trying to convince you that this is a character or this is a house. It's strictly the shapes tool. It's just something that I've run with for a long time, but I illustrate in other ways as well, digitally. I have a rudimentary understanding of Blender. I know how to use Procreate and how to actually use my hand to illustrate, but I come back to this way of illustrating over and over again. There's a lot of artists who illustrate very similarly to the way I do, right? It's a vector-based platform, and a lot of people deploy the shapes tool and very similar techniques. But I think from the technique to just the vision I've had creating the compositions I've created, I think I've created something really unique that's special to myself. And so I've just owned up to it, and, and I'm just proud to, to do the way I, I create art. I've read somewhere that you started with PowerPoint and some of the limitations of those tools. Is that the way you use Illustrator now? Do you see that as an evolution of how you started? Yeah, 100%. I took the shapes tool from PowerPoint, which is literally like a square, a triangle, and a circle. And then you can just change the color of it on a color wheel. There's no layers, obviously. You just have different slides. I would work just on a single layer, and I would just stack shapes. And all I would do is just stack them. And it didn't give me the ability to manipulate each corner like Adobe Illustrator does. So it would quite literally be like a puzzle, trying to create interesting silhouettes and convincing shapes for compositions. And then when I moved over to Adobe Illustrator, I would never sit down for a tutorial or anything. And so I picked up Adobe Illustrator. I was looking at it and, and I was like, oh, this is like very similar to how I would do it on PowerPoint. And it's just been like that ever since. And of course, like over the years, I've picked up on how to use Illustrator, learned a couple things here and there, but it's really just been the core of my practice really. My friend Osanachi, who's a pretty well-known crypto artist, actually only had access to Microsoft Word in the beginning, and his style developed to be very unique because of those constraints. And, you know, I wonder if you feel similarly, like you're sort of self-taught and almost protective of that because it makes you unique and contributes to your style. If you still feel that way, and if you think maybe part of why your aesthetic is so unique and stands out as uniquely yours is because of some of those restrictions, almost like creativity as a result of the restrictions. Having tried to learn about art without the formal education, but just going to galleries and museums and putting my nose into books and, and just trying to learn peripherally instead of taking formal classes, I've learned about art and I have my own idea of what it means to create good art. I have my own idea of what it means to create compelling compositions. And I mean, of course, a lot of this is influenced from the books I read and things I learn online and from people in general. I've created a framework for myself, the way I think about art. I think it's easy for me to say these things now that I've created a style that I'm confident in doing and happy to share with people. But now I'm open to learning in a more formal context about things. And now I can incorporate things without feeling the need or the pressure to just accept things because that's how they're formally or traditionally taught, which is something that I probably would have been influenced to do or if I was just starting illustrations and you know, how to work and create figurative art in a very specific way or how to take photographs in a very specific way to create good compositions. I think if you were to catch me anytime before for today, really, I would have probably been more influenced by those formal teachings than today. One of the things that I wanted to ask about, so I know a lot of art friends of mine, if you called them an illustrator, they'd be offended and they'd be like, I am not an illustrator. I am an artist. I know that you refer to it as illustrating and doing illustration work. And I wonder how you think about those terms. You know, do you see them as interchangeable or is there a distinction there or is there a reason you would use one versus the other? 
you know, it's funny. I think about this from time to time. Actually, I've been trying my best to actively not downplay my accomplishments, which is something that I struggle greatly. If someone asks me that's not on Twitter or anything like, oh, what do you do? I, you know, I just tell them I draw or I like to do art and stuff. It comes from the same place, right? It's like, oh, I'm an illustrator. You know, I like doing illustrations. I watched this interview from Beeple a while ago and he was like, I don't consider myself an artist. I think artist, that word is like pretentious. That wasn't the exact quote, but it was something along those lines. Beeple is like a real big inspiration for me, both as an artist, but just the way he carries himself. I think my mindset is really like if Beeple, who is the poster boy of all of crypto art, and he doesn't give a fuck about what he calls himself an artist and illustrator, whatever, then I don't really care either. So I use those words interchangeably. I literally don't really think too much about it. The one thing I do stay away from is I won't say I draw. One time on Reddit, I said, this is a drawing. It made like the front page of Reddit. And then all the comments were just like, this is not a drawing. This is a digital whatever. And I was like, okay, I guess I can't please everyone on Reddit, you know? As you've grown in popularity, you know, skyrocketed really in the last year or two. How's that been? I'm sure it's a mix where you also have way more people that really love what you do. But, you know, are you getting a mixed bag? And how do you cope with the blend of feedback, let's call it? I'm a fairly anxious person at baseline, so it would be in my best interest for my own mental well-being to not have people mad at me. I genuinely want people to be very successful, like my colleagues. The posts I make on Twitter and the comments I have in support of artists and collectors and specific people is genuine. I am a big proponent of art blocks and, and all the artists on there, which is what I talk about like 90% of the time. But at the same time, I've done my best to refrain from arguing with people. It's better to just ignore negative comments than to interact with them for the most part in my opinion i've seen you know a couple comments here and there that are somewhat negative not really it's almost like a subtle negative comment but i've never really had anyone like attack me or the things i do or the way i illustrate hopefully i'd like to keep it that way just be a positive person yeah, one thing I was thinking about as I was thinking about the new wave of artists that have become popular in the last year or so, it's interesting to me that we've got computers, which can have sort of interactive and dynamic sorts of art and really are sort of these tools that have shaped our generation. But so much of the popular art and popular artists reference 20th century paintings. So whether that's a lot of folks in generative art on art blocks, I think, and certainly some of your own work. And I'm curious why you think that that is, both from the perspective of an artist like why that work is interesting to you and, and why you, you use it as source material or as inspiration, both from the artist side and from the collector or appreciator side. It seems like there's a desire to go back to this earlier painting-oriented work, even though we have new tools and a new set of social circumstances for our generation. It's because those works are famous, right? Why do people want to paint like Jackson Pollock? No one would be painting like Jackson Pollock if Jackson Pollock was not a thing. No one would be painting like Helen Frankenthaler if her technique of blending colors onto a canvas was a thing, right? And the same goes for quite literally any piece of art, especially of the 20th century, right? Where art has become extremely esoteric, where the definition of good art doesn't necessarily pertain to photorealism or some slightly more objective way to evaluate a piece of art. And, and now it's almost like if you get this type of art, then you're part of the club and then the club has different tiers. Are you a buyer of this art or are you a gallerist or are you a creator of this type of art? Then, you know, you go up a tier and then, you know, the tier gets to the point where now you're like a famous contemporary artist, right? And so I think a lot of source material for artists of the digital age is really a combination of having the ease of access to tools while trying to recreate some of the works from the past because those are the works that are supposed to be important and those 
those are the works that are cool. And those are the works that people look at in museums and galleries. I really appreciate industry-based artists, digital artists who are now coming in and having a voice of their own in NFTs because industry-based artists are creating art that is very novel and very specific to basically the 21st century and, and the very end of the 20th century, right? Like video game art, movie art. These forms of art are things that they don't see in the art world. And so I really appreciate their inputs into the community because they're creating something that is come as a result of the ability to create these types of works. The way I see NFTs moving forward in context of the greater art world is artists need to find a way to create their own voice. Some already have. I'm not saying it's all artists. Let's just say like for myself, I draw a lot of inspiration from artists from the 20th century. I've minted a lot of works that look similar. It's in my own style, but definitely look similar. If we as an art movement want to be incorporated into contemporary art spheres, the technology argument can only take us so far if the movement is also focused on these very esoteric concepts behind works of art, what art means. We need to really branch out from, oh, I like this type of art from 50 years ago, so I'm going to recreate it in a digital format and then sell it. I mean, that's completely fine. I just don't see how that is going to take us to the level we want as an entire space and a movement. And so I really appreciate artists like Beeple and Xcopy, I think, are two people who really do something very special, who have a very unique story behind them as well, individually, and who have a voice and a following that I think can help us move on with next steps in getting adopted into bigger art conversations. I think it's just simply an exposure thing. Not very many people know of postmodern art. Also, it's easier to just wrap your head around art that's kind of at the turn of the 1800s to 1900s than from the 1900s to the 2000s, where the art is just different. And I would personally say it's a little harder to create that in digital form than maybe a canvas from the 1800s, you know? So something that's obvious to me is that you excel at several things at a level that I think anybody would be super impressed by. Like there's like this level of excellence in your art and in your dancing. And obviously you're going to med school and there's usually a motor or a voice for someone with your level of accomplishments that can also be challenging, right? That's pushing you to sort of be above average or to try really hard. And I wonder where that comes from. Maybe you could share a, a little bit about that and how it shapes what your conception is of the kind of artist you want to be. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot in the past. My dad, better or for worse, is a workaholic. I really respect what my dad does. He was an engineer, and then he kind of moved into the more management side of tech. He worked at Intel when I was a kid, and so, you know, this is the reason why I was in the Bay Area, you know, Silicon Valley. As I became an adult, and as I went through undergrad, had my fun in undergrad, but then realized, you know, I want to take my art seriously, and maybe I do want to pursue something like being a doctor or higher education of some sort. It just slowly dawned on me that the harder you work, the more more likely you are to find a chance at success. My personality on a social level is fairly easygoing. But then when it comes to things like activities, there's like this little thing in my head that just tells me I have to work harder than the next person. And, you know, I didn't have good grades as a kid for elementary school, middle school, a little bit of high school. And so my mom would always tell me like, you have to work twice as hard as the next person to get to where they're at. I think that's always stuck with me. Sometimes it is a competition against someone else. Mostly I've experienced this in the dance side of things. Most of the times it's a competition against myself. My biggest fear is I'll become bored with whatever I'm doing. And those are the times when I'm the most miserable. I would rather deal with 3,000 deadlines and I'm struggling to keep up with all those things than like sit for a few days and have absolutely nothing to do or nothing on my agenda.
You mentioned that you make your work, you know, largely for yourself or it has to be for yourself first, which makes sense. That's what's going to drive you through the creation process. But it also feels like you have a sense of audience and a sense of market, which could be the same thing or different things. And again, from prep work or the interviews, it seems like your goal is maybe to have a fairly broad audience. It feels like you want your work to appeal to as wide an audience as possible, which is unique. I think a lot of artists that are really trying to make like an aggressive statement almost by necessity are going to offend or ostracize some group and almost wear it as a badge of their artistry that their work has this bold statement. And I wonder if in trying to appeal to a broad group of people, if there are any trade-offs or sacrifices you have to make in terms of artistic vision, or if your vision sort of just naturally coincides with having a broad audience. I'm very opinionated as a person and those opinions I'll keep to myself, my family and very close friends, right? And when it comes to speaking your mind and, and being very opinionated about a topic, I really respect the artists that are able to do that, whether it's like a tweet that they make or it's through their art. 1000% I respect those people because that's something that frankly speaking, like I'm not brave enough to do. My goal is not to make anyone mad, even if the trade-off is I might not make as big of an impact. The other thing is like, yeah, I think my art is definitely more palatable to people who don't know anything about art. You could still look at my work as someone from the community that just walked into a museum or a gallery. I think they could totally look at my art and be more attracted to it than even like a de Kooning or something, right? You can look at my art, you kind of understand what it means, or at least you think you understand what it means, and then you can just move on. I think that's just part of my easygoing nature socially, but also I want to share my story. And my story oftentimes is just a reflection of my life and my life as is anyone's life pretty mundane on a day-to-day -day basis you drive to work and that drive is five ten minutes or an hour probably pretty boring something you do every day it's those little moments that i, I want to be highlighting and so my art can be pretty deep but it can also be extremely matter of fact and it's just up to who's looking at it and who's interpreting the art and so i just want my art to be accepted by any group of people and so in my mind it would be cool if let's say this artwork behind me is one day in a museum right it would be cool if an art curator came in and say oh i understand understand why this is in this museum just as much as if someone randomly came in and was like oh i understand why this is in the museum right for me like when i look at your work i see a series of decisions on how to take things you're seeing in the real world and what level of detail to present them and even something as seemingly basic as a tree which actually has multiple universes you know am i going to show every leaf every vein on every leaf every branch but i see in the way that people appreciate and understand your art maybe it's not so much on the, the construction and those individual decisions the way you look at the world i think helping them reevaluate their own surroundings in the world and, and almost start to look at things a little bit more like an artist. Is that a goal or is that sort of what you want people to come away with? You definitely highlighted a lot of it. As the art space moves forward, I still want to do my best to explore some of those concepts through my NFTs. And I think being in this more novel medium of digitized tokens can reopen some of those conversations. And I think digital art obviously has not had its shine in contemporary art just yet. And I think it will make a big impact. And if, for example, let's just say NFTs do make it big within the next 20 years in art spheres where a Fidenza and X copies one of ones on Super Rare are works that are included in conversations about art history. I would hope that my work can be relevant enough where I can at least graze some of those conversations peripherally. 
I love it. Yeah. Going into medicine and wanting to try to help and heal and some of your comments today about not wanting to make any enemies. I wonder if you think of your art also as a potentially a healing thing for you, but also for your audience. When I think about the environment of like a hospital or a doctor's office, it's sort of intentionally calming and meant to put people at ease. And I think some of your color palette and some of, you know, your work, it's almost feels like it borrows from that sort of healing side. And I wonder one of the very unique things about you that isn't true of most artists is that you spent all this time studying medicine and going to med school. Are there connections and overlaps there that are both intentional and unintentional, you think, in your practice? Yeah, I minored in religious studies, actually, at University of Wisconsin. And it was actually eye-opening. I, I think if I went back, I would major in it. A couple of things I learned during that time was really like exploring mental and spiritual health through artworks and through nature in hospitals. I mean, like you go into a hospital and you see art and you see garden. And I don't know if it's everywhere in the United States, but there's definitely a policy around here where like every hospital bed has to have a window specifically for the sake of mental well-being. And so a lot of my art, actually, I started creating with the intention to donate to hospitals, which I have over the past couple of years. So, you know, I printed my digital art, I would frame it. And then, you know, I would say it's a one-time use donation to this hospital. And so it's hanging in say, like a few hospitals around Wisconsin. In my Midwest series, which is the one I really started with, were intentionally created because I wanted people who live in Wisconsin to connect with their surroundings and where they're from here in Wisconsin while they're in the hospital. So I do my best to try and connect my interests together. How you perceive a painting is potentially very different from how I perceive a painting. Just the same, like how I perceive the hospital is very different from how a patient would perceive the hospital. And so I think there's a lot more nuance and subtle themes that I try to take and incorporate into all aspects of my life. A lot of those things are not very explicit. They're just little life values that I take with me while I'm doing art or while I'm in the hospital. But I try my best to just take all of my interests and all the things I do in my life and just fuse them so I can just be, you know, a better person, really. I think people want to be into the art that's really cool, really out there, really in your face. But then I think there's a part of my art that is subconsciously pleasing because it is just a homage to nature. And I think no matter how technologically evolved we get, we'll still have this connection to vegetation, right? And the color green, right? And you can look at my art and then you can say, oh, it's boring. But I think the art can attract people's attention before their conscious kicks in. That's what I want. That's what I want, really. I feel like there's something uniquely American about your art. And I think it goes beyond just the artists that inspire you who tend to be 20th century, like American painters for the most part. And it's interesting to me because in this digital NFT world, it's pretty global and borderless. And you yourself are well-traveled both inside and outside of the U.S. And I wonder how much of that is sort of intentional, this nostalgia and Americanness, for lack of a better description. Yeah. One of my favorite authors is John Steinbeck. You know, I grew up in California. I grew up very close to Salinas Valley where he resided. And so in the public school districts in California, you read John Steinbeck, you read, of course, like of Mice and Men, but you know, there's other books like Grace of Wrath and East of Eden. His visual language struck a chord with me. Growing up in California in the Bay Area, I would drive down from San Jose down to Monterey and Carmel, and then we would drive up sometimes, you know, to San Francisco and the North and the West Bay. And along those drives is really what captured my imagination nation as a little kid, just seeing these rolling hills and seeing the sunburnt grass all kind of yellow and seeing cattle, seeing livestock and seeing the types of vegetation there. And these are the things that I think John Steinbeck does a really good job describing in his literature. So a lot of my art, at least my California series, really stemmed from these ideas. And sometimes I'm very explicit with it. The titles for one of my works, I think is just called Salinas Valley or something like that. One of them is about San Francisco. And so I think it's really a combination of me telling you explicitly 
explicitly this is America and at the same time also highlighting my inspirations in John Steinbeck and I think inevitably if you are from the United States or you're familiar with the United States will kind of draw you into looking at my art from a certain lens but I will say a lot of people have messaged me and said this reminds them of somewhere in Europe in France or in Italy and so I don't think it's necessarily exclusively reminiscent of the United States. I know you're from, again, reading your interviews that you're pretty big on museums and go to museums quite a bit. And I think you can always learn a little bit about people based on how they attack a museum. I'd be curious, how do you do museums? Do you go solo? You go with other people? You kind of cruise through and then come back? Or like, what's your attack plan when you hit a museum? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Typically, I like to go to museums by myself, unless I'm with my fiance. I'm really excited to see how she interprets works at a museum. So I really enjoy going to museums with her. But if it's not with her, I would 1000% like to go by myself. I think if there's a museum very local to me, so for example, I'm very close to the Milwaukee Art Museum, which I would say has a very impressive collection. If it's a museum I have access to, something like the Chicago Art Institute, I can go down to. There's some museums in Madison, Wisconsin, I can go to. So if it's a more accessible museum, then it just depends. One day I want to see the entire museum. So I'll just go run it through like top down. Then there's days I'll go and I really just want to focus on contemporary or I really want to just focus on impressionism. But if I'm going to a place that I've never been before, like the objective is not to go to a museum when I'm traveling. The objective is I have something to do in that city and there's a museum in that city. So I'm going to go. The most recent museum I went to actually was in Detroit. I went last Saturday. I had like this dance thing I had to go to and I arrived in Detroit an hour and a half early. So I was like, oh, I have an hour and a half to go to Detroit Institute of Art. I'll just run through everything. I understand that every work has to be appreciated, but at the same time, if I'm very familiar with Andy Warhol's work, what he had at the Detroit Institute of Art was there were two silkscreen prints of his self-portrait. I look at it, and if it's something that speaks to me, I will definitely try to come back or spend more time with it. And then I'll just look through the entire museum, and then I'll just take the photos on my phone. If it's a museum that I really want to go to, then I'll revisit and I'll come back and I'll make time for it. If I want to learn about it, if I want to appreciate it, I can do that on the internet. But I want to see everything first in person, you know. What did NFTs do for art, digital art, and then more specifically for you from your perspective? From what I can gather, at least, it's raising eyebrows is the best way I can say it. I think digital art, especially NFTs, I think are things that people are slowly looking into. And I don't think that there is this huge wave of adoption or acceptance that are, is often highlighted or predicted by people on Twitter. I think we're very tunnel vision in this space, especially when there's a lot of money that's running around during times where people were just doing airdrops left and right. And you can buy something and flip it, you know, the next day for like 10x. Nowadays, I think people have come more down to earth. And I think slowly people are realizing that these things will take a lot of time. And there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes, but people are really wary. And I think it's because museums and galleries and these bigger art institutions or corporations or whatnot, it's structured similar to like a company, right? There's a board, there are contributors from a monetary standpoint, from an art standpoint. Not everyone is willing to accept innovative technology as a thing that we should be doing in art. It takes a really bold group of people or an institution to make that first step.